Well, good morning. You know, I just want to begin by saying how much I love this time of year. You know, I've always loved the fall, um, just the, the crisp air in the morning, the, the frost on the grass, um, the, the leaves changing color, football, and, and Thanksgiving. I've always loved Thanksgiving. I have memories of getting up. We go hunting in the morning and have turkey in the afternoon and play tackle football on the lawn after we ate. And this, this is a great time getting together with family and friends. And that's something we love to do. It's good for us to get together with family and friends and to, and, and to do what the, the holiday says. We give thanks for all the blessings that God has given us. You know, family, friends, freedom, faith, health, jobs, whatever it might be, God's creation, it's good that we do set time aside specifically to give thanks to God. Now, Thanksgiving, it's a biblical word. We see it all over the place, but I want to bring your attention to Philippians chapter 4, where the Apostle Paul tells us to do what? He says, talk to God, pray to God about your concerns, about your, your requests, about your lives. Bring all those things to God with Thanksgiving. And Thanksgiving is a, is a compound word, right? It's made up of two words. There's thanks and there's giving. And those two words, thanks and giving, they're a huge part of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. They are instrumental. The practice of them are instrumental in our growth uh, spiritually. Nurturing the spirit of thanks, of gratitude, and developing a habit or discipline of, of generosity, of giving, it's, it's a part of, of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, you might be thinking, okay, I know what time of year it is. I know where Doug's going here. This is kind of the annual stewardship sermon. And like, well, yeah, you're, you're right. But it's, hopefully it's, it's, you'll see there's much more than that. We, we're going to talk about how to use our resources to, to bless others, to honor God, to build his kingdom. But it's also tied into our, our heart and, and, and how we grow more and more like Jesus Christ to make sure that our values and priority, priorities are aligned with his you know, you know, we live in a world where very little is taboo anymore. You know, you, you look at social media, you look at TV or movies, um, you go to the Internet, you look at the news, just about everything is open for discussion. No holds barred often. Religion, politics, sex, past relationships, present relationships, it all seems to be fair game. But one area where we tend to avoid talking, it's, it's money, Right? How much people make, what do they do with the money that they do have? I mean, most of us would be more comfortable in a conversation asking somebody about their religious views or their political views than we would, you know, how much money do you make and how do you spend your money and why do you spend it there and that sort of thing. And I understand why. I'm kind of that way too. It's, it's, there's such a thing as privacy and appropriateness. But if we are called to follow Jesus... If to be a disciple of Jesus means to surrender our lives to him, all of our lives to him, then shouldn't something that occupies so much of our lives and energy and focus, making money, saving money, spending money, so on and so forth, accumulating things, shouldn't that be something we should discuss in light of scripture, in light of what God wants us to be and what he wants us to do? The problem we face in the world is that money tends to be the driving force. I mean, saying money makes the world go round, well, it's kind of true, right? Um, it has such a strong hold, grip on us that sometimes our priorities can get out of whack. 
And we end up more concerned about a possession than a person or more concerned about the material than the spiritual. I mean, the scripture has a lot to say about this. There's a little over 500 verses on prayer, a few less than 500 on faith, over 2,000 on money and possessions. Jesus, 16 of his 38 parables deal with this topic. And so this morning we're going to be looking at one of those parables, and it's found in Luke's Gospel, chapter 12. Starting at verse 13, it'll be on the screen behind me if you want to follow along. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide their inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A person's life does not consist in the abundance of their possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. And who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Then Jesus said, This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. So the context here is is Jesus in the middle of a a pretty lengthy sermon. He's talking about big stuff, important stuff, life, death, heaven, hell, forgiveness, grace, all these things, how you're supposed to treat people, how you're supposed to relate to God, all these big, big things. In the middle of the sermon, this guy just kind of walks up to him and interrupts and say, hey, I've got an issue here. Help, help me figure out how to divide the inheritance between me and my brother. We don't know what's, what the case is here. We don't know if there wasn't a will left behind, and so it's kind of up in the air. There's no executor. Maybe the will was found, but he doesn't like what's in it, so he's asking for Jesus to kind of, kind of even things up. We, we don't know exactly. He's kind of treating Jesus like, like Dave Ramsey here. Hey, I've got an issue. What, are you gonna, what, what, what should I do? Help me f- figure this out. But it's kind of crazy. You have to remember the context. He's in the middle of this incredible sermon about big stuff, eternity, life, heaven, hell, forgiveness, grace, how to relate to God, all these things. And, and the guy is standing in the presence of the Son of God, and his mind is fixed on money. He's a perfect example of why the Scripture talks about money and possessions so much, because obsession or being occupied with money, with possessions, it can keep us from hearing what Jesus has to say. These things have a way of binding us to what is physical and temporal and blinding us to what's spiritual and eternal. And when that happens, it harms us spiritually. Obsession with money keeps us from hearing what Jesus has to say. What are some of the things Jesus has to say? He says, give to the poor. Use your money to build God's kingdom. Invest in eternity. If you're privileged, use your privilege, your resources to help those who are less privileged. Give generously. Give sacrificially. Follow my example and give up your life for others. Do we hear Jesus? Now, you've probably heard this phrase, 
Money is the root of all evil. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money, the adulation of money, the all-out pursuit of money, that is the root of all evil. Because money and possessions, they're neutral. They can't be evil. They're neutral. They're simply material things. I mean, some of God's greatest heroes in the scriptures are people of great success. Abraham, wealthy man. Job, wealthy man. David, Solomon, wealthy kings. In the early church, um, there, were, there were wealthy people. Often they were women in the New Testament, sometimes men, who would open their homes to Christians and provide a place for worship. There was a woman in the scriptures who supported Paul on his missionary journeys. She had, she had was a woman of means. So, so wealth in and of itself is not evil, but money has to be handled carefully because an obsession, a preoccupation with it, a pursuit of it can sometimes put us in a dangerous place spiritually. So how do you know if, if you're in, a, in the right place spiritually regarding your, your resources in relation to God? Well, I'll give you something very practical to do. Pull out your checkbook or your budget or your bank statements or your investments. There's probably no better gauge of where your priorities lie and values lie than how you spend your money. It tells us a lot about ourselves. It's a window into our worldview. You can do that with your checkbook. You can do that with your calendar. Our two greatest commodities, time, money, it shows where our values lie. What are we pouring our energy and thought and emotion into? And Jesus said in this parable that people come from kind of two different perspectives. He says there are people who, who pour their energy and passion and lives into the pursuit of building treasures on earth. Bigger barns, better barns, whatever it might be. Treasures that ultimately have no permanence. It's, we say this because it's true. You can't take it with you. Whatever we spend our energy on that will not live past the grave is really not a great use of time and money. If we pour ourselves into the pursuit of having worldly things, if that's our primary goal, our primary motivator, then we need to hear this from Jesus. We are to be different. Jesus says this in Matthew 6, 19 and following. He says, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. He's not talking about buying better purses. A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we can say that, you know, that, yeah, that's not a problem for me. I'm not materialistic. That doesn't have a hold on me. But we can always tell by our actions and our choices whether it does or not. Where your treasure is, there your heart will will be. And Jesus wants to be the treasure of our heart, the center of our heart. He wants to be first in our lives, not because he's self-centered, not because he's egotistical. Oh, I've got to have be first in everybody's life. It's got to be all about me. It's because he wants to set us free from the stranglehold that these things can begin to have on us. Because we all have a natural desire to, to secure our future, Right? To begin to do that, and we can, when we have that, that can turn into not trusting God to provide, but we begin to take that job for ourselves. Now, a little caveat. Certainly, 
We are to plan. We are to invest. We are to prepare. We are to be wise. We're to do that. The scripture tells us to do that, provide for our families, to be a blessing to those around us. But we also have to remember that as far as material possessions and money and all those things are, are concerned, they're not ours. We are stewards. We are not owners. We are to hold these things loosely and allow God to direct use of his resources. Another way to think of it is another kind of a metaphor for you is money. How we use our money is like a spiritual thermometer. Okay. It shows where our priorities lie. It shows where growth needs to happen. It shows the the warmth of our heart towards God. As Elton Trueblood put it, our faith becomes practical when it's expressed in two books, the date book, use of our time, and the checkbook. So just a little challenge to us today, uh, me included. Pull out your checkbook. Does your use of money show that the Lord is first and that you're trusting him for your security and for your future? So, so how do we do this? A few things, hopefully, that will be practical for you. The first is honor God first. Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. So in other words, before we pay the government, before we pay the bank, before we pay ourselves, we are to honor the Lord first. And by doing so, we acknowledge that it is his in the first place, and we're just returning something of what he's loaned to us. Say, so, okay, I can get on board with that, but then the question comes, how much? I'm not going to tell you how much. Uh, I can tell you different ways that people look at it. Some people would say, well, the Old Testament, the minimum was 10%, a tithe. And some would say, well, yeah, but that was under the law. Now we're under grace and so it doesn't apply anymore. Uh, I'm not going to get into that, but I want to ask you a question. What motivates your giving? Obligation or, or gratitude? Because if it's obligation, we're going to look for loopholes we're going to say, what's required? What's the kind of the bare minimum? You know, okay, that's, a, that's enough, or that's the average, or, you know, I, I, I feel enough to feel good about it. If it's gratitude, we're going to want to do our best. We're going to do the best we can. Because if we're to follow the example of Jesus in our giving, it's supposed to cost us something. It must be more than simply a donation. It must be, a, you know, a sacrifice. In view of the cross, we should be asking the question, how much can I give in response to what God has done for me? C.S. Lewis spoke to this when he wrote, the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they're too small. When Jesus laid down his life for you and me, when he wiped the slate clean of our sins, when he invites us into his family, when he promises eternal life, when he gives us his everything and asks us to honor him and live our lives in response in grat- gratitude and love and humility, it seems like the heartfelt, immediate, appropriate response should be, whatever you want, it's all yours, Lord. Because giving, giving isn't fundamentally about the money in Scripture. It's about the condition of our heart towards God. 
our response to his gratitude and his generosity for us. So honor God first. Next, possessions overpromise and underdeliver. You know, every human being has ever lived, we hunger for meaning and purpose. You see the pursuit of it in different cultures and different places. We, 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 just, we want to find meaning and purpose. Why are we here? And we want to find fulfillment. And, and we, we know, looking at our history, looking around us, that self-centered, self-focused living doesn't bring it. It might bring some pleasure, but meaning and purpose and fulfillment, true contentment and peace, no. It doesn't come through a bigger bank account or a trophy or a ring or a bucket list of, of experiences. Materialism promises more than it can deliver in the long run. But joy and contentment and meaning and peace are inner realities that come to us independent of external situations. Our meaning and our purpose is found in following Jesus and serving others in his name because money cannot buy our way out of emptiness and it cannot buy our way into fulfillment. Next, money can take us down the wrong path. Proverbs 16.8 states, Better a little with righteousness than much with much gain with injustice. Now, some people, you've heard this, some people can handle wealth, some can't. You might think, well, I'd like to see if I could handle it. But we need to remember that wealth with wealth comes great responsibility. And with wealth comes power in our world. And the temptation to use power wrongly can be very strong. You know, you can get your way if you have enough money. The Bible is, warns us about this. Paul writes, People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And some eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many, with many griefs. Next, adopt an eternal perspective. Apostle Paul says this in Colossians 3. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. So adopt an eternal perspective. There's a legend of a man who had a, let's just say, a rather dense servant. This guy was not very bright. And the master would get frustrated with his servant. And one time, in a fit of frustration, he said to the guy, You are the stupidest man I've ever met. He said, I want you to take this staff and carry it with you. If you ever meet anybody who's more stupid than you, give it to them. So the man carried the staff for years. And he would bump into people in the markets or out and about, and they weren't very bright. But he'd think, I'm not sure they're worse off than me, and he hung on to the staff. Years went by, and then one day he came back and to see the master, and he was ushered in the bedroom because the master was sick, and the master was not going to get better. In the course of their conversation, the master said, I'm going on a long journey. The servant said, when do you plan to be back? The master said, this is a journey from which I will not return. The servant said, sir, have you made all the necessary preparations? The master said, no, I have not. The servant said, could you have made preparations? The master said, yes, I guess I've had my life to make them, but I've been busy with other things. The servant said, master, you're going on a journey from which you will never return. You could have prepared for it, and you didn't. The master said, yes, I guess that's right. The servant took the staff and said, take this with you. At last I've met a man more stupid than me. Like the man in this story and the rich farmer in Jesus' parable, 
we can pour ourselves into into the pursuit of, of, of business, success, and raising our standard of living, whatever it might be, securing our future. But if it comes at the cost of a relationship with God, of, 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 of living the life of gratitude and generosity, following the example of Jesus, if it comes at the cost of our, our spiritual health, then what are we doing? To be freed from the lure and false security of of, of money and material possessions, learn to think eternally. There aren't any do-overs in the grave. Adopt an eternal perspective. Next, experience the internal joy of giving. Jesus said this in Luke 6, Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken down and running over, will be poured into your lap. And then in Matthew 10, 8, Jesus said, Freely you have received, freely give. Experience the internal joy of, of giving. You know, as a church, we've been blessed for many, many years, and I hope and like to think and believe that we've also been a blessing to many other people. And I want to take a moment and remind you of some of the things just in this last year we've been able to do because of your generosity, your involvement, your faithfulness, your sacrifices. Canicut camp out this last summer. 200 kids from our community and our church were impacted with the love of Jesus Many of them gave their lives to Christ. Our partnership with St. John's Missionary Baptist Church on the west side of town, their after-school ministry, and the adoptive family ministry that we are part of during the holidays. Christian Challenge, a ministry to college students in town. The city, a nonprofit um, downtown that invests in young people through leadership and tutoring and, and programs like that. The Emergency Aid Food Bank. La Miel, our sister covenant church that reaches the Spanish-speaking community. The Pregnancy Service Center. The Sina Rescue Mission. Love Salina, a ministry that provides financial resources to people in need. Over 20 missionaries around the globe are supported by FCC. That's all a part of our budget and more. Uh, This past year, the church council, after prayer and discussion, decided to step out in faith and use some undesignated funds to bless certain ministry partners that had specific and significant needs. And we, we, we knew that many nonprofits and, uh, and ministries were experiencing challenges because of all the stuff that happened in the past year, the disruption because of COVID and the economy and things like that. And we were mindful of Jesus' words in Luke 12, where he said, to whom much is given, much is required. Because we've been blessed to be a blessing. And so we decided to support the following ministry partners with gifts beyond the church budget. At Stake Ministries, this all happened last year, 30000 to help them add a new staff counselor and remodel extra space. Relationships being helped and strengthened and saved. Homestead House here in Salina, 36000 to help jumpstart this ministry that, we've, that we have spearheaded here in town. It's a ministry that helps women get out of sex trafficking and lives are being transformed and changed. Covenant Cedars Bible Camp in Nebraska. We've got 20 of our kids there this weekend. We heard from their director last weekend, 50,000 to help them to this camp we've been sending people to for decades, people experiencing the love of Jesus. Revolution Church, this is really cool. A church on the west side of Salina that's um, particularly targeting people who are struggling with addiction and dysfunction. Um, They're moving into a new building. They're helping people find freedom and life in Christ. And the church council designated 50,000, and the rest of the congregation came up with another 150,000. We're so thankful for your generosity. 
which has helped us serve so many in our community and our world. So thank you. Thank you. And we want to continue to do this. Now, we know the last year and a half has been difficult and challenging on many levels for so many of us. But in the midst of this, I've seen God be faithful. And we are trusting God to be faithful in the coming year. And so we want to give you the opportunity to help as you feel led. No obligation, but as you feel led. And so we want to give you a report on where we're at. So if you take a look in your worship guides, you'll see there's a short treasures report on the inside. Um, the bottom line is to meet our expected expenses for the year. We need a strong end to the year, about 496000 Now, we believe that God is calling us to continue these ministries, to continue to put our faith into action, to show through, the, through our actions and commitments the love and grace of Jesus to those in our church, community, and world. So if you want to be a part of this, you can give you a check through the FCC app, through the website. If you want to do automatic withdrawal, you can contact our church office. They'll put you in touch with our financial secretary. And some people choose to do end-of-year donations of stock. We're trusting God in this and wanted you to be aware. So if you have any questions, uh, please contact me or Pastor Wes, Carl Brown, who's our church treasurer, church council, or finance board. So thank you for all you've done your giving, your support, your encouragement, your prayers. Thank you. I want to close with this thought and this verse from 2 Corinthians. The idea that I believe is very, very true is generosity is a natural outflow of a grateful heart. They truly are connected. Thanks and giving, generosity and gratitude. Paul writes, each one should give what they have decided in their heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. How is God calling us to respond to his generosity? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness and your generosity to us. You have blessed us in so many ways, with so many gifts, and no blessing, no gift is greater than the gift of your son, Jesus. Thank you for being a generous, gracious, giving God. Lord, we thank you for the generosity of the people of this church. Bless them, O Lord, in the coming year that we may continue to be a blessing to others, to this community, and to our world. We trust you in all things, Lord Jesus, and offer ourselves to you, all that we are and all that we have. In Jesus' name, amen.